You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. at the border crossing numbers tonight from September, and they are shocking. Migrant encounters and terror suspect arrests at the border were at record levels. Our crews there down on the border continue to witness large groups of illegal immigrants coming into the country every day. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and that is Brett Baer on Special Report, but he's with us today because he's going to be doing Special Report from Georgia because we're the center of the universe. Brett Baer, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Martha. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be back in uh, in Georgia. A little sunshine, a little cooler than I thought it was going to be, but it's nice. Are you going to play golf while you're here? Unfortunately not. It's all work. <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, we're just doing the uh, show. We're talking to a lot of voters, talking to the candidates, and uh, we'll be doing the show tonight, and then I'm off back to D.C., and then we go to Ohio next week for a big uh, town hall with J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. Well, and if you don't know, Brett Baer has written two or three books already. Is it three? Five total. Five total. Four, four on history, four on uh, on presidents uh, with uh, Eisenhower, Reagan, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, and the last one's about Ulysses S. Grant. That's right, and they're all great reads, and if you haven't read them, you should. You know, Brad, it's interesting because obviously I travel around Georgia and I go to a lot of meetings and I talk to people and do all the things on the ground here. And what I saw about three weeks ago was with the with the revelations about Herschel Walker and the possibly paying for the abortion and that kind of thing, that there was about a week of people buzzing Oh, I don't know if I can do this or not, especially among that coveted group of suburban women, you know, that kind of thing. But what I've seen in the last two weeks is a real co after that debate performance, a real kind of coalescing and uniting of the Republican Party. And the ironic thing is Brian Kemp really led that unification by how he handled the criticism from Trump and all of the election stuff, as well as COVID. So we're in a real interesting place right now. Uh, very, very interesting. It's one one of the reasons why we're here is because both races are, you know, fascinating in different aspects. And I, I agree with you. I mean, just looking at the polls, looking at uh, what we get out of, you know, voter interaction, uh, that's what we hear as well. I think the Walker uh, Warnock races is, it's about local issues, it's about the state issues, but it's it's also about the control of the U.S. Senate uh, and what that means, big picture, uh, for Republicans. So it's it's crucial, uh, you know, however you map it out, uh, Georgia is one of the toss-up states that we see uh, that could determine the balance of power in Washington. So what kind of things are you going to be doing tonight on the show? How, what can people expect to see that might be a little different than what they would normally see? Yeah. So we're going to actually have a, a number of voters that we talked to and I've had crews kind of looking for a different cross-section of folks uh, and talk to, talk about issues. Um, we'll be bouncing around Atlanta and kind of showing people different spots that are 
interesting, you know, heading to break. But more importantly, we'll be talking to um, the candidates themselves. And it's not going to be long, in-depth interviews, but we're going to get the issues of the day and what their closing arguments are uh, as we're now under two weeks. So it'll be a lot of Georgia uh, on special report tonight. And, um, and that's good for me since I grew up here. Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you a question because, you know, Fox News always gets the, you know, people throw at Fox News, oh, you're conservative. And so they make this delineation, well, you either watch Fox News or you watch MSNBC. But Pew Research Center on multiple times of 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 polling the audience for Fox News, what it shows is is that it's not only the largest audience in cable news and in some cases in all news uh but it's the most diverse audience i mean while it does lean a little conservative it has the most diverse audience much more diverse than either cnn or msnbc no it's true and that's been um studied a bunch uh special report is um the place where it actually splits the most between democrats independents and republicans um and, you know, we're a news show, just, you know, Martha, like a newspaper has a news side and an opinion side. Obviously, our opinion folks come from a point of view, and you're right, it is uh, right of center, uh, and depends on the show host of, of where that is. Uh, but we also have a news department uh, and a lot of great reporters who are breaking news, and uh, no matter what side of the issue that is. Uh, so... We take pride in that whole split, and uh, it's been a formula that has worked. Um, you know, it's been interesting uh, talking to Republican candidates, you know, who say, you know, are they going to go on the news show? Uh, and, you know, tough but fair questions go to both sides. So um, hopefully people get a sense of that when we, uh, when we interview folks. So when I talk to my liberal friends who who will say, oh, why, how can you watch Fox News and, you know, all of that? And I'll say, the only thing you need to know about the fact that Fox has a diverse audience is that Stacey Abrams has bought a lot of time on Fox News. If she, <laughs> if she didn't think there were Democrats and crossover voters she could get in Fox News, she would not be buying advertising there. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's why Tim Ryan's doing a town hall uh, with us in Ohio, in Columbus. Um, it's why sometimes Republicans, you know, are they'd rather not take some of the tough questions on the news side. Um, and, you know, it, it, that happens because we're going to try and cover it all fairly, Martha. We really are. And um, we had arguably uh, the toughest Republican primary debates as far as questions uh, for the presidential last cycle and the cycle before. Uh, and, you know, we take pride in that. And I think it's it's um, good to be able to be put through the ringer a little bit uh, since you're dealing with these positions that are leadership for our country in your state, obviously, as governor and also for the Senate. Absolutely. So tonight, special report at 6 o'clock. Uh, it'll be on as usual, but it'll be Georgia-centric. Brett Bears here in Georgia, and I got to tell you, my husband wanted me to tell you, you know, we've built this this uh, uh, driving range in our backyard, basically, <laughs> because we, we have a little bit of land, and so he's got the net and the pad and the whole thing where he can hit balls. So he's been really working on his game, and 
actually shot par for the first time in about 15 years um, recently. So he, you know, he's very happy about that. But I've been on with you before. I look forward to again, you know, when you need a strong conservative voice on the on the female side in Georgia, we'd love to be on again. You bet. Martha, thanks for having me. Brett Baer, thank you so much for coming to Georgia. And, you know, we love you and you do a great job and can't wait to see what you do next. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is my pleasure to welcome to the program John Pruitt. Uh, He's written a fiction book called Tell It True, but boy, does it ring true. And John, you know, I know you don't remember this because I was like an 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid, uh, and I uh, was at the journalism school at UGA, and I requested an interview with you, and I came and interviewed you. It was right after you went to uh, Channel 11, and I went and interviewed you in your office for a paper I was doing. And um, it was I was so nervous because you were the first really famous person I had ever interviewed. Martha, it was apparent to me that you were destined for greatness at that, <laughs> that particular point. <laughs> and I was right. I was well, right. <laughs> and I was so lucky because I I was able to intern at WSB TV and Monica Kaufman, now Pearson, yeah. was mm-hmm. one of my mentors at that time at WSB and she and I have stayed in touch all these years and and she's been such a great um, you know, a mentor to me in over all these years. So it was great relationships. I actually did a little stint with Cox for about five years with Cox Radio out of Athens. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's, you know, it's a it's a nice it's a nice con- conjecture, right? It's a nice connection. So I well, appreciate you know, I think yeah, I think those of us in the media who've, you know, made the rounds uh are supportive of each other because we know the trials and tribulations of trying to work in the media. And you've done extraordinarily well. Thank you. I can't think of a mentor better than Monica. Oh yeah. But I'm I'm glad I might have played a small role in your uh, ascendancy in that interview. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. Back in the much. day when you were a student. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, tell it true is so interesting because I love this part of Amer- of Georgia history, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that you kind of weaved in the Buckhead businessman part of the story, which is, you know, for me, one of the things I tell all the time, whether it's, you know, some of the books that Rick Allen wrote and and some of the other books that have been written that talk about this sort of uh, business collective that sort of Mm -hmm. protected Atlanta from becoming the kind of fire storm that the rest of the South was. Yeah, we we think back on Birmingham, and my apologies to any Birmingham residents or folks who may have lived there, uh, but we remember the turmoil in the streets in Birmingham in 1963 when fire hoses were washing the civil rights protesters down the street and police dogs were nipping at their heels. And those were images that still live in our minds when we think of Birmingham, at least for my part. And of course, there was a a concerted effort by the city fathers, the, the white power structure, shall we call it, to prevent that from happening in Atlanta. And that is an aspect of my book. It is an important aspect, but of course, as you know, Martha, it goes into other aspects of of life in Georgia in 1964, a time of great racial turmoil, right after the Civil Rights Act of 64 became law, uh, and people were not willing to accept it in Georgia. Many people weren't. So it was a time of turmoil, and, and that's what Tell It True is really about. 
Yes, and it's it's there's a there's a book that Gordon Sawyer. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with Gordon Sawyer, but he was a great historian mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. North Northeast Georgia, and he had this old pamphlet that Gainesville City used to. Uh, promote itself from the 1880s, the Chamber of Commerce. And it made a line in there, which is, you know, obviously so dated, was, and our colored people are real easy to work with. (laughs) (laughs) And that seems so far away now, but it wasn't that long ago. I'll tell you something, Martha, and you may have had this same experience because I know you speak to kids a lot. I went to a lot of high schools and, and middle schools, and I would talk about the way things used to be. And it was astounding to me that these young people, both black and white, had no conception of what life under segregation was like. And that's another reason I wrote this book. I think it's important to look back on the past, number one, to see how bad it really was, but also to see how far we've come. Yes. And the book is Tell It True by John Pruitt. And we're going to talk about the story in the minute, in a minute. But, I, you know, I'd love to share with you this story where I took my kids to the King Center, you know, when they were mm-hmm. little. And and same kind of experience. And this would have been in the 90s uh, where they they had that colored water fountain display, you know, okay. at the King Center. And they would just stare at it like, what in the heck is this? You know, I don't even know what this is. And so it made, makes you feel good, but it also reminds you that anything that's worthwhile, you have to continue to nurture and and fight for um, and and make people aware of. And that's what you tried to do and tell it true. Give us just a little synopsis of of the story. Well, it, it begins in, in July of 1964, which I mentioned was when the civil rights law actually became law signed into law by LBJ. That happened to be my first week on the job at WSB as a as a young college graduate without a clue about journalism or TV news. I really fell into the job quite by accident. But um, I covered a, a segregationist rally in which four young black students were almost beaten to death and was able to get film of that. It made a profound impact on me. And then on the 11th of July, a retired African-American lieutenant colonel Army Lieutenant Colonel Lemuel Penn was driving home from Fort Benning, where he'd done his two weeks reserve duty for the Army, and was heading back to Washington, D.C., when he was ambushed by Klansmen north of Athens and shot and gunned to death. A, a nationally uh, important crime. The LBJ sent the FBI in. Media from around the world came into, well, it was Madison County at that time. And These two events really impacted me as a young reporter, and I've always wanted to write about it. And I used those events, fictionalized, to set the framework for all the aspects of of characters who represent the the politics, the Atlanta power structure, as we mentioned, the media, and also the civil rights uh, leaders, both the nonviolent leaders and those who feel that the time for nonviolence is over, the beginnings of the black power movement. I've mixed all of this into a narrative that, well, I hope Georgians and, frankly, everyone will find interesting if they read it. Yeah, and what I liked about it is it's it's hard sometimes to read about this part of our history because it does seem so far away. But I was born in 1959, so, so it is kind of a dim mm-hmm. memory for me. I mean, mm-hmm. my first memory is of we were living in Washington, D.C. at the time of... 
uh, President Kennedy's death. And so my first real memory was of being on my dad's shoulders and watching the caisson go by. I didn't know that's what it was. I just remember the horse, you know, and and because I was four years old at the time. Uh, but it 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 colored, if you will, kind of the way I looked at things my entire life. And uh, those first memories are really important memories. And of course, I grew up, I went to Columbia High School. Of course, Columbia High School was uh, embroiled in a lot of things when uh, DeKalb County schools were desegregated. And so, um, you know, and I was part of a student council that had black and white members on it. And we were trying to as teenagers kind of manage through this along with help Mm -hmm. from the teachers. So this is a very Mm -hmm. important story. And I loved the book. I mean, and I'm not a big fiction reader, John. I I am more of a nonfiction reader, but I really enjoyed the book. Well, thank you. I tried to look at it from all sides, from uh, the rural sheriff whose county happens to be where the murder is committed. It's fictional Pickett County, by the way. I picked a county out of Georgia. And I, you may have noticed I created a governor's race in 1964. <laughs> there was no such race in Georgia in 64, but I needed a political angle as well. So I have a Roscoe Pike, an unreconstructed racist segregationist running against a guy who's Harrison Parker, who is a little more progressive, but is afraid to really express that because he knows if he does, he won't be elected. It was almost mandatory that a candidate for statewide office in Georgia in those days be a committed segregationist. Now, I wondered if he was modeled a little bit after Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter had to do a little bit of that when he was running. Yes. Of of kind of a wink and a nod to certain groups. Well, you're very perceptive, Martha. (laughs) Uh, He's not. Harrison Parker is not Jimmy Carter. But yes. Uh, you're correct. Carter did have to mask his progressive leanings in that campaign. Actually, a little more than mask. A lot of people thought he was a, an arch conservative. And in his inaugural in uh, 1971, he said the time for racial discrimination is over in Georgia. There were an awful lot of surprised people when they heard him say that. He never said that during the campaign. If he had, he might have lost to Carl Sanders in that primary. Absolutely. And my parents were Carl Sanders people. Uh, they were like the three Republicans in <laughs> my parents and a couple of their <laughs> friends were all the Republicans that there were in my part of the world. John Pruitt, if people want to know more about this book, how can they find out and how can they get a copy? Well, I have a website. It's johnpruittauthor.com. It's, uh, you can go to Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Mercer University Press, which is my publisher, and they've been great to work with. Uh, so all of the online uh, possibilities are there. And it should be in your local bookstore, and if it's not, Ask them why not. That's <laughs> right. Absolutely. I'd like for this book to get, get out I, to as many people as possible. Look, I'm as guilty of online purchasing as the next woman my age, right. but I still love browsing through a bookstore. I'm telling you what. Visit your independent bookstore. Amen. They, they deserve right. it, and that's a great place to go, and they'll tell you about the book, and hopefully they have Tell It True in stock. Absolutely. John Pruitt, thank you for being with me today. Real pleasure, Martha. Thanks so much. Putting the talk in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We're talking to Roger Ewald, and the Brits just make changes all the time. And so we're going to talk about the changes they made this week, not only to their prime minister, but to just about their whole team. Roger, how are you? 
I'm very well, Martha and Ron. How are you guys? Doing good. So walk people through what has just happened in the last week in the U.K. Well, I think there, there are three big stories that are going around and around here. One is Rishi Sunak. Uh, whose name President Biden doesn't seem able to pronounce. He calls him Ranesh Suak or something. That's uh, in all the headlines of the newspapers. They love that. And there are videos of President Biden all over the place with all kinds of memes and captions and things that he can't say the man's name. Um, the second story is uh, not such a great story. And that I'll come back to involves Trevor Noah. And then there's a smaller story uh, about Kanye West. Yay. So what happened here this week is uh, that there was, yet again, after only uh, six weeks, another election for a prime minister. Um, and this time it was the members of parliament, that's the, effectively the uh, congressman, if you will, uh, who elected Rishi Sunak uh, um, uh, to be the new prime minister. And Liz Truss resigned in uh, quite some humiliating circumstances, really. Um and he he now went to see the queen as she did, and he has he has become uh, he has become our new prime minister. It's historically uh, unheard of. It's unbelievable. It's making all the rounds. And you There's meant to say to... he went to see the king, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say queen? Oh, yes, gosh. you did. Everybody's, everybody's doing that because everything now changes. You know, from uh, the king's council, which is what you call a senior lawyer. To, everything used to be queens this and queens that. It's all kings this, and people do get confused. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Um, so basically, there's two aspects to it. One is uh, is is the man um, as as a as a, a figure, and the other is the actual individual, Rishi. Now, uh, starting with the individual, uh, people are apprehensive here. This is the same guy who was the chancellor before and when he, the treasury secretary, and when he blames uh, Liz and people before him, well, I mean, he was actually running the bank account. So uh, he's a high tax guy and everybody's very scared that prices are going to go up and interest rates are going to keep rising and he's going to raise taxes and all that. So... Nobody's too sure about what he's going to do, uh, although one thing he is going to do is clear up the terrible mess that Liz Truss and Quasi Quartang uh, made when they introduced a budget without proper planning. Now, as far as the figure goes, Britain is just, you know, overjoyed to have its first British prime minister. Uh, Britain, and in particular the Conservative Party, has got a tremendous track record of diversity. It starts with the Jew, Disraeli, years and years ago as prime minister. There have been three female prime ministers, and now our first British Asian. People are, are really, really excited about it, in the same way that they, before the trouble started, that they were excited about Meghan uh, being someone of color joining the royal family. Um, we move on to Trevor Noah. This is making all the headlines. Piers Morgan... And every uh, top British TV and radio host and press uh, journalist of note is up in arms at Trevor Noah uh, uh, making up stories about a racist reaction to Sunak, which is simply not the case, uh, you know, to heighten his own image. They are calling him all kinds of names. Uh, he stooped to the lowest level and portrayed Britain as having a lot of 
racial backlash, he calls it, to Sunak being the prime minister. I mean, it's anything but that. And, you know, top guns like Piers Morgan are really mad. And they're all over Twitter and the newspapers and the TV, uh, really slamming Trevor Noah. And the third thing is Kanye, uh, Kanye West, his two-hour interview with uh, uh, Piers Morgan on uh, Rupert Murdoch's talk TV uh, the other night caused quite a storm, a lesser storm, but did cause quite a storm. I mean, the man is a great talent, obviously, but he's just seen as bunkers here. So well, and I think that's, that- he is a tortured artist is what he is and unfortunately when you put the microphone in front of him for too long he says things that don't make any sense i mean rod i mean you know kanye west is a a very talented person in many ways right but he has a lot of difficulties well it's the it's the the old saying a genius is on the line of being brilliant and on the line of being just totally lost. Yes. And he shows that, you know, more times than not, because he's absolutely brilliant. But then there's something that takes him so far out that, you know, the only thing can bring him back is time. So, Roger, just quickly, because we only got about a minute left in this segment. um, Do you think that Rishi Sunak is going to put a good... Do you think the team he's put together is good and... Are you hopeful? Um, I'm always hopeful about everything. uh, And I'm hopeful that he will surprise us, because after all, he wasn't selected last time. I hope he'll surprise us. I don't know if he can actually unite the Conservative Party and repair it. Uh, But, yeah, I, I mean, I am hopeful, and everybody certainly wants to give him a chance. And the first time in history that three former prime ministers are serving as MPs in the House of Commons. And it's kind of like having, you know, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) So it should be very interesting to watch. Well, there's a tweet going around. uh, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like, we've had four chancellors of the exchequer, treasury secretaries, in other words. We've had three uh, uh, effectively secretaries of state, uh, we've have uh, three prime ministers uh, and two monarchs that my son has noticed. And by the way, my son is four months old. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Roger Gewalb, uh how can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name, Roger Gewalb, G-E-W-O-L-B. And they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Dr. Dr. Roger Gewold. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Doug Collins is here with me today. Doug Collins was the 9th District Congressman. Uh, he ran for the United States Senate. He's a podcaster and a radio guy as well as a lawyer. And he's also pretty involved in politics. Doug Collins, welcome back. It's so good to talk to you. Hey, Martha. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. So, first of all, give us just kind of the lay of the land as you see it of this election, because you've been through a lot of these and you've traveled the country. Tell us a little bit about where what you're thinking right now. 
Well, I think we're seeing a good turn. If you're a Republican, it's a, it's a good turn. I think the, the the House is over. Let's just be, let's just face it. The U.S. House races. I mean, the majority is going to be the Republicans come uh, November. The only question now is, is will it be? I've been saying somewhere between two twenty five, two thirty five. I've been encouraged here recently to say that it might get as high as two. Uh, you know, if we're it's a really good night, we're looking at maybe two forty uh, in the House, which is, which is really really good for for where we need to be. Uh, I think the Senate is now coming around. It's been up in the air for a while. I think it's still really close. I was just in Illinois, Washington, uh, in, in different areas around, and then coming back into some of the states like Arizona uh, and Ohio. Uh, you know, I, I think we're, Republicans are still going to take the Senate. I think we're going to win here with Walker in Georgia. I think we're going to win with Laxalt in Nevada. Um, which would give us what we need, and also a buffer just in case something you know went awry, say in Pennsylvania or somewhere like that. You know, a lot of people forget that last cycle, 2020, that I think 15 of 19 or 15 of 18 of those those targeted House seats went ahead and went Republican. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people forget that because of the noise of everything else that happened. So there was a lot of progress made in the last cycle. Yes. you know that people forget about. Oh, yeah. And I think the, the, the groundwork's been here for a while. I mean, look, it was the 18 election was, you know, frankly, uh, it was a, it was an anomaly in, in many ways. It was a very much of what you see in a midterm of a very, uh, you know, you know, stringent time with, you know, again, I, I no matter what you feel about Donald Trump and, 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 you know, for those of us who you know thought he did well, who worked with him, who watched him, those who didn't. The one thing that they can't say, and I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, or anybody else, there's never been a presidency quite like his in which from before he was even, you know, sworn in, the, the, just the, the, I don't even know how to put it, Martha. And I think the you level know, of vitriol. <laughs> yeah, it was just terrible. Yeah. I mean, he never had a chance. And I've watched it from minute one to even, you know, to even, I mean, he could have said ice cream was good. And then I had 15 Democrat activists on the next day on MSNBC and CNN, you know, claiming that, you know, lactose intolerant people were being discriminated against. I mean, it was just, you know, that would be the way it would be. And so the 18 election, I think, was an anomaly. But uh, from what we're saying, I was all over the country during that time, and you could feel it. It was not about the candidates. It was about, you know, this, this uncomfortable feeling in the country. 20 brought it back, and I think that's what was missing a lot of the time. You brought you it up properly. A lot of good from conservatives happened in the 2020 election. Now, a lot of stuff that was disappointing and, and wrong happened in the 2020 election, you know, from from candidates getting elected or losing. But, yeah, I think we made a good progress, and, and they're building on that this year. You know, President Biden over the weekend had a uh, press briefing with a bunch of progressive activists on transgender issues. And I don't know who is scheduling the president that – I'm not saying, you know, maybe you don't talk to folks, but right before an election, he has a press avail. And if you haven't read the readout on it, you ought to, because he is saying that it's not that states don't have the right to legislate uh, what happens to minors, that there shouldn't be certain ages for Mm -hmm. any of this kind of stuff. And I just hear I just don't understand who's scheduling him because I don't think there's very many people that believe young children should make those kind of decisions without their parents. And I think that's one of those those issues, whether it's schools and parents or it's these kind of medical issues and parents. That's a big issue. Oh, it's huge. Uh, Look, I think they know they're losing. I think they're, you know. I don't think that there's uh, I, the ones around Joe Biden realize that they can 
they they're having to you know in essence you know pay tribute to the folks who got them there so to speak what they believe got them there anyway democrats are very good at taking uh their agendas and pushing them no matter what and and republicans frankly martha we're not okay and i and i say that honestly that we'll you know we take up objectives but you know it, we get sidetracked. Our, our base gets sidetracked. Um, I've, I've described. I think you've heard me describe this before. Sometimes, it's, it's sometimes as conservatives, we're like that on Red Bull. I mean, we just float from one thing to the next. But Democrats, especially this White House, and, and if you notice it, you and I would say this is just you know why would you be doing this? And especially if you, and I think you have. Sounds like you've watched some of this. I watched some of the lead up to it. I mean, this is also an interview in which he said that uh, he passed, basically passed the student loan forgiveness by a couple of votes. Yes. I mean, yes. He's, he's not there. I mean, in making this stuff up. So, but but they're very focused on, on on trying to change the inherent culture, and because they're in belief that whether it's courts or whether it's law, it doesn't matter. That if they can gain hold of a younger generation and begin to convince them of things that are not being confronted from the right they have the control they, again they have a very long-term plan yeah they have a very and you're right they stick to it no matter what we uh will vote for an individual or not and um it's just we we don't stick behind we're much more individual oriented about our ideas and i guess that makes sense a little bit doug because we've got a lot of small business people we've got a lot of people that have made things on their own those kinds of folks are going to be less likely to just follow like lemmings it makes it harder to keep us together oh yeah well I, look I, i'm not going to because i've been over i've been traveling a good bit this cycle as well in the last few months and, and but i think one of the most more concerning things for me and, and no matter where you go um republicans we need to fight like cats and dogs and so to speak in in primaries but then after the fact, you know, we do come together. That's why, you know, I, you know, in the state of Georgia, if you're a Republican and you're not voting for Brian Kemp, Herschel Walker, and the, and the then I, I don't know what, how to help you. Okay, right. I really don't. No, I'm because with you. There's no comparison here. But I still go to, you know, I think I'm sure you do as well. But I, all over the country, it's this kind of thing where I walked into meetings and they said, and they said, okay, Doug, I know you're going to talk about it, but you know, we still got this group over here that's not happy. I said, my gosh, what are you not happy about? I mean, at the end of the day. We've got to, to go back, you know, and be, I, I've called the Reagan principle. I know you discussed this as well. I mean, you know, I, if I can get 80% of what I want, you're more than just a friend. You're an, you're an ally. Well, you look, know? And, I mean, and, honestly, and got to do that. Doug, we ran against each other 10 years ago, and yeah. I called you on that night and conceded and wished you luck and did the things you asked me to do through the general and other election cycles because that's the right thing to do. You won, I lost. I got behind you, and we and 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 I hope I was helpful in some of your congressional elections. That's the way you do things, you know. It's it's you know we all choose what we're going to do, but when it comes down to the general election, you got to get behind your party. Well, that, well, it's also funny you should mention that. Bring that up. I, I was so old, I called in a minute too early. I called I called Jody Cooley's ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I know Jody. You know Jody. I, I like Jody. Is a you know a friend. I've known him. We've been in Kwanis together. <laughs> that ad was hilarious. I mean, 15 seconds of talking and 30 seconds, 45 seconds of a song. I, I got to give him at least credit. But speaking of which, he was the first one that, that we did. He ran against us both from a Democrat perspective back in, in 12. Well, he so, ran as the Democrat in 12. That's right. And he, he's consistent. I mean, the one thing you can say about him is he is consistent. But also the next thing I will say, frankly, from Mark. 
Shelly Eccles is going to be the next senator from Carl County, not Jody Cooley. No, I think you're right. So any of these, cons- do you think any of these uh, uh, constitutional races go into runoff? Senate is, the Senate I'm concerned about, Marla, I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think, look, we've seen a change nationwide. We've seen the generic ballot come back close together. Um, you know, for those who, you know, that's just a who you vote for R&D, no names attached. And we've seen that come back together. Uh, the Democrats did all they could do in August, July, August, early September to make the abortion the issue. And, um, you know, that is, you know, where we're, you know, just, but again, I, like I told a lot of candidates who would call us, how do we deal with this? And a lot of Republicans were being quiet about it. And I said, don't be quiet about it. If you're a pro-life state, you're pro-life state. If you got, you know, if you're restricting birth, take what it is. But I said, turn the question. I said, ask them when are they comfortable in limiting abortion? I said, because the National Party is basically unlimited abortion at any time, almost to, I mean, to the point of coming out of the birth canal. Right. I said, put them on the defensive about abortion for sex selection, abortion for, for uh, disabled children. Put them on offensive about when do they actually, you know, would they actually put a limit? And we started doing that. I think we started coming around. So, but this race is just interesting. And, um, you know, I, we'll see what happens here. But I think the rest are, are pretty much out of the margin of error. The Walker race, though, I think if we can continue to see that come close, uh, you know, we'll see where those last-minute breaks. And, and we'll truly see if 4% are going to the Libertarian or is that still a protest vote among some Republicans or, or something, and we'll see where that's at. Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about that one. I'm also concerned about Lieutenant Governor only because it hasn't gotten up over 50 for Burt Jones yet. Uh, but, again, it, I think there's a, some protest voting in there that might, you know, shift around. Just don't know until it finally gets there. Now, what everywhere I go, I make a lot of speeches this time of year and get asked to come to a lot of groups. Everybody asks me, do you think Doug Collins is going to run again? And I always say we need to ask him. So I'm going to ask you, do you have any plans to run for office again? Uh, I, I never say never. Now, we're looking, we're having a good time right now looking at uh, the uh, you know, having fun helping people. We're, we're going to make decisions after this election cycle. But, I, you know, Martha, it's also been pretty amazing for I get the same questions. And I tell people, look, we're going to help the Republican ticket. We're going to continue to do what we do across the country. And I have to be honest, for the first time in about 15 years, uh, Lisa has actually seen me more than uh, she has in <laughs> a long time. So it's like, you know, this is pretty cool. I, I love my bride. And, you know, this, is, this has been pretty neat. But, no, we're, we're never get, you know, we're not going to be out. But, you know, we'll see. Y'all you know, just tell everybody, stay tuned. We'll see what comes up. Well, and, you know, and I appreciate that. Because I get asked the question not as often as you do. Because mine is a little farther in the rearview mirror than yours is. And I, you know, my husband had cancer twice after I lost that election in 2012. So the way I look at that is God knew what he was doing. And um, not that you didn't do a terrific job, but something would have suffered if my husband had had cancer twice and I was a congresswoman. And so God knew what he was doing. And maybe my goal, my place in life is to help other people, which I love doing. And can I jump in there? You hit the perfect thing. God knows best. Okay. And, 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 And there's a lot of different things. And it doesn't mean that we like it all the time, but it means that there's a plan. Uh, and, and what we're having. But I also want, you mentioned this lieutenant governor race right quick, and I wanted to jump in. I think Bert uh, will try, will follow Kemp, and I think Bert will, he won't probably, he may not be as much as Kemp. I, you know, I think it's still to be determined. But although I want to ask you a question, I'm sure. going to turn this table a little bit. Um, 
I, I am looking at this interesting vote turnout. I mean, we're having, I mean, it's like everybody's like almost the out work, you know, working from home phenomenon. Everybody's voting early. There's a huge turnout. Um, but what I am hearing, though, is Democrats are very concerned because they're, they're not hitting their numbers. They're, they're not hitting their numbers in the areas that they normally, although they're ahead in the early voting, if you do it by where they're voting, they're not hitting the numbers. Uh, I was curious if you heard any, what, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, they are. They're not hitting the numbers. And while they are getting higher than they expected African-American turnout, it's not in the places that they need it. That's what I'm seeing, you know, in the turnouts there. And obviously these estimates are based on if you pulled a primary ballot in 2022. So if you didn't vote in the primary, they don't know how you're going to vote. So um, you're right. I think there's a lot of concern out there because um, there is huge turnout. Uh, you saw the Stacey Abrams thing where her her case got thrown out, and now finally someone's doing an article on how much money Fair Fight's been paying legal fees on these things. Yep. So there's a lot, you know. Finally, after people think she's going to lose, all the bad stuff's coming out on her. So we'll see. But oh, I, I'm glad yeah. that you made the point about Governor Kemp because I think the better Governor Kemp does, the better everybody does. It will. It will. And, and again, it just shows. Like I said, I think there's a, a there's an element of a protest vote in, uh, in the Republican side, I think, that you're seeing between the Senate race and the governor's race and some others. Um, I hope that comes together. Uh, I think it will. I just, I've seen I it just, move. I mean, I mean on, I'll be honest with you, Don. D- Doug, three weeks ago, people on the Republican side were nervous about Herschel when all that other stuff came out. But I've seen him come yeah. back. I've seen him come back because what I've said from the beginning, if it's not after 2009 when he made his his confession and he did it publicly, then it doesn't affect whether you vote for him or not or it shouldn't. Well, it is. And I think some of that, was, you know, I think the timing on that was also an issue on when it was. But I think the other thing is here, too, and I, I, this is a, and I've heard from some others. Look, I, I want Republican voters to turn out. I want them to get out and, uh, you know, make this thing over with because I do have a concern of that race going to a runoff. It is it also would be sort of in some ways a little bit different if that race went to the uh, to a runoff in a year in which none of the others probably will. Um, then I have a concern about real Republicans show back up five weeks later, uh, especially if they were you know playing this you know supposed you know protest issue here. Right. Um, so and it's yeah, four it's four weeks December 9th. December 9th. Four yeah four weeks yeah. That's so right. We'll see. All right. Hey, Doug Collins, thank you so much for calling in. Let's do this again soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.